You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. As always, I'm, I'm humbled and incredibly thankful to our God that we get to gather together like this in Jesus' name. It's such a, a simple thing that we do each Sunday, and yet it's incredibly beautiful and powerful. It's such a blessing to be a part of it, and I'm glad that you're here this morning as well. On that end, last week we began a new sermon series through the letter to the Colossians, and uh, we read that the Apostle Paul, after hearing the, the report from his fan, friend and fellow evangelist Epiphras of how good things were going for this young group of new believers in Colossae, he expresses that, you know, that same type of thanksgiving to God in his letter to them. And, and what we'll find next is that this heart of thanksgiving moved Paul and his co-workers in Christ to, to continually pray for the church in Colossae a prayer which he describes to them in detail in the next couple of verses, which we're going to be going through this morning. But since this prayer contains a lot of good stuff, uh, we're going to be going through it a little bit bit slowly. We're going to be spending the next three weeks going through the bulk of this prayer and hopefully learning from it and being encouraged by it. So let's open our Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to be at verse 9 and going to verse 14. We're We'll be focusing on verses 9 and 10 today, but I want to read the whole prayer so we get it in context. So Colossians 1, 9 to 14. If you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be behind me on the screen. It says this, For this reason, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. This is the word of the Lord. I love when that fan shuts off. It's just silent in here. I feel like we have to contemplate something now. Um, has anyone ever seen the show Shark Tank? Raise of hands, Shark Tank. You ever heard of the show Shark Tank? Okay. My, my oldest son and, and my wife, they like to watch this show together, so I often end up watching it as well. But uh, anyway, for those who haven't seen it, basically the gist of the show is that inventors and entrepreneurs, they get to come on the show in order to stand in front of a bunch of multi-million dollar business moguls known as sharks. And, and they get to make a pitch in front of them for their, their original product or, or business in the hopes that these sharks will invest in them. 
So, of course, when they come on the show, these entrepreneurs will introduce themselves, introduce their brand, demonstrate their product, talk about sales to date and their projected valuation. And usually they tell their story of how they got to that point. All the while, the the sharks sit in their chairs judging them, looking down on them, right? Needless to say, you get to see some pretty interesting inventions and, and some also pretty stupid ones as well. But still, I give these entrepreneurs props because, because that's not an easy position to be in, especially because I'd say that more often than not, the sharks usually pass on investing in them. Sometimes I do, of course, or the show would, would suck and wouldn't be very interesting, but generally they don't. They just pass. And, and when they don't, that's the point in the episode when one of the sharks, one or more of the sharks, will state one of the most iconic lines from the show... And, and it goes like this, and for that reason, I'm out. So, for example, they'll say something like, your, your, your product isn't something I'm into, and it can't make me money. So, for that reason, I'm out. Right? There's, there, there's the shark right there. Or they might say something like, you don't know anything about running a business yet, and I don't want to teach you. So, for that reason, I'm out. Or they might say, your reported sales to date just don't match your valuation. And for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> they get pretty angry. The, the sharks are a tough crowd. But in, in contrast to that, after the Apostle Paul hears Epiphras's pitch concerning the new established church in Colossae, specifically their love for each other, stemming from their evident faith and hope in the good news of Jesus Christ and the way that they're proclaiming it to others in the city, Paul sees their value, he sees their kingdom potential, and he exclaims with joy, for that reason, I'm in. That's Paul. And just so you know, I used Damascus font just to make it even more legit. Road to Damascus, that's where, okay. Anyways, thank you. Anyways, Paul probably doesn't even know these people personally. We learned that last week. But, but he's ready to go all in for them to invest in them and and help them flourish in their spiritual growth and in their God-given calling as followers of Jesus because he sees Christ in them. And so right off the bat, he offers them the the greatest and, and the most powerful thing that he can offer them. Besides the good news, which they'd already heard and received. And it's prayer. It's prayer. Colossians 1, 9. It says, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so, so as soon as Paul heard about this new church and this new group of believers, he was on his knees before the Lord, interceding and petitioning on their behalf and asking that they would continue to grow and mature in the Lord. For Paul, prayer was paramount. Why? Because because he knows that in order for these believers to mature in following after Jesus and and to flourish in in the will of God in their lives, the only person who can truly and fully accomplish that in them is God. And so for their sake, he continually submits himself to God in prayer. 
as uh, Bible scholars Scott Pace and Daniel Aiken write, Paul's example teaches us that we are all in constant need of intercessory prayer that is not occasional or based on impending circumstances. His immediate and ongoing prayers for the Colossians confirm for us that God's will for our lives is a present reality more than a distant fairy tale, and ultimately, his petition demonstrates that our ability to know and follow God's will for our lives begins with and depends on prayer. This is key, and I want to emphasize this before we go into anything else. This is key. If we want to grow deeper as followers of Jesus Christ, and if we want to discover and step into God's will for us as the body of Christ as we enter this new season, we need to be a people of prayer. And, and not just praying for ourselves or for our own personal ambitions or, or feelings, which we're so prone to do. But rather, we need to be interceding and petitioning the Lord for one another, continuously praying for each other and for the church, for God's will to be done in all of us. Uh, and on that, <clears throat> excuse me, and on that end, we're, 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 no, we're certainly no Apostle Paul, right? Like, I'm, no, I'm certainly no Apostle Paul, but I want to ensure you that, uh, that we as pastors and, and elders, we try to be as faithful as we can in praying for this church and, and for each one of you on a daily basis as well. But the thing is, is that if we're all committed to submitting ourselves before God, praying for one another in Jesus' name and in accordance with his word each and every day, I know that we'll be enabled and empowered to grow immensely in our faith and that the Lord will be able to do wondrous things in us and through us. Amen? And this, by the way, is, is, is the very purpose of Paul's prayer, right? That's, that's exactly what he's praying for. He prays that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord's will and wisdom and spiritual understanding so that, as it says in verse 10, so that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's prayerful desire for them is to see them step into the complete life in Christ that they've been freely given. That is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. And to be clear, this isn't saying that we have to live a certain way to get God to love us or like us more. I always want to emphasize this when we start talking about these things. Let's, we don't want to twist his words and start thinking that we need to earn God's favor. That's, that's problematic. That's every other religion. No, he already loves us. And he, he's already saved us through Jesus' complete and perfect work on the cross where he conquered the power of sin and death on our behalf so that all who believe in his name by faith may be set free and reconciled to God. By grace we're saved. It's not our own doing. It's a free gift from God because he, loved, he loves us, right? Rather, what Paul's speaking to the Colossians here is that God is pleased when he sees his, his children growing in and living out the life that they were created and adopted and set free to live. And besides, the, the natural response of someone who's been saved by Christ should be to want to glorify and please him because of how awesome it is. 
that we've been saved. Our desire should be to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, when we, when we meet the Lord in eternity, right? Ultimately, though, when we live a life worthy of God, we're also demonstrating the love of Christ and, and the reality of God to the world. So the question is, how do we as Christians live in a way that's worthy of God and pleasing to him? How do we as Christians live in a way that's worthy of God and pleasing to him? First of all, Paul tells us here, it starts with growing in the knowledge of his will. Growing in the knowledge of God's will. Paul writes here that that as they do that, it will lead them to deeper wisdom and to spiritual understanding so that they can then live out lives pleasing to him and bear good fruit, which would then cause them to grow more in the knowledge of God. The, the trajectory is this uh, that Paul's writing here. He's saying the knowledge of God leads to wisdom, which leads to living as God desires, and living as God desires will always bear fruit, which will then lead to greater knowledge and deeper understanding and wisdom of God, which will lead to more good works that bear good fruit, and so on and so forth. Uh, James three thirteen and 17 and 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it, by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So, so godly knowledge is, is never just about information. It's not just about gathering information and theology and doctrine and just having it in your head and making sure everyone knows you know more than they do, right? That's not what it's about, right? Knowledge just puffs up. It's, it, it's all biblical knowledge is always about information that leads to transformation. It always leads to wisdom. And then wisdom always leads to godly living, which then leads to a greater knowledge of God. It's, it's this glorious cycle of maturing and growth in righteousness. As a... Uh, Uh, Theologian E.D. Martin writes, to receive the gospel is is to come to know God, and to know God is to do his will. And to do his will is to know more and more of God. And you could just keep repeating that over and over again. That's the Christian life. And and so again, the more we come to know God, the more we'll, we'll mature in wisdom and do his will. And the more we do his will, the more we'll come to know God. In the same vein... The more we we know God and the more we obey him, the more we'll actually understand that this is and has always been the best thing for us. The question is, though, how do we we grow in the knowledge of God's will? How How do we do that? How do we know what God's will for my life is? Well, we've been talking about it all summer, haven't we? We've been talking about it all summer, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but the book of Proverbs tells us that the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It starts with submitting to the Lord. It starts with submitting to God's word. Practically speaking, this means prayerfully reading our Bibles and doing what it says in the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in fact, the will of God is not some big secret that we have to unravel. 
The will of God is not some big secret that we have to unravel. We, we need the Holy Spirit to live it out, but it's not some big secret that we have to unravel. The Bible literally says the phrase, this is God's will for you, a number of times, plenty of times. We actually did a whole sermon series on it a few summers back. And what, we'll find, what we find is that whenever the Bible says this is God's will for you, it shows us that it's more about growing in our relationship with him and concerned with our character and how we treat others and portray Christ to others than it is, than it is about specific things like where you should work or, or whatever. However, as I've mentioned before, when we are leaning and, and trusting in God and living as he desires, God will certainly open doors and direct our paths in those specific areas as well. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 confirms that. Look it up if you don't know it. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Anyone know that? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. That's right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's right. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. What's more, common sense tells us that the more that we grow in his knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding, we'll naturally make wise choices, which are aligned with God's will and character. Right? The more we know God, the more we become like him, the more we'll just make choices that align with who he is. On that end, Paul then lists three ways that Christians are to live a life worthy of God and pleasing to him, or, or rather, if we're growing in the knowledge of God's will, in wisdom and spiritual understanding, then this is what our lives will look like. Th this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. There's three things he lists here. Number one is bearing fruit in good works and growing in the knowledge of God. Number two, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And number three, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light through Jesus' redeeming work. So those are, that's the Christian life that's pleasing to God. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be going through each one of those points individually. But for the rest of my message today, I, I, I want to highlight the first point and, and talk about what it means to live a life pleasing to God through bearing fruit in good works bearing fruit and good works. And on, on this end, Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, 1 to 10, hmm, have we heard that passage before? Yes, Pastor Brad actually read that already this morning in our call to worship, which is awesome. It just shows that the Lord's speaking this to us this morning. He had no idea I was going there. So it just proves that the Lord's speaking to us this morning. So let's pay attention to it. John 15, 1 to, 1 to 10 says, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, 
and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, first of all, then, I, I want to emphasize the idea that, that to follow and abide in Jesus is synonymous with growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God. <clears throat> to abide in Jesus is synonymous with growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God. It's the same thing. As it, as it says later in Colossians, Jesus is the fullness of God. And as it says in 1 Corinthians, he's the wisdom of God. Come to us. So John 1 sums it up best when it says, he's the word of God become flesh. This means Jesus is, is the physical embodiment of God's truth and wisdom. Everything we need to know and learn about God the Father and his will and who we are in him, Jesus embodied and taught to us. So as we abide in him and he in us, that is as, as we grow in his teaching and in our relationship with Jesus, in his love and in his word, we'll then be pruned by God the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that's pleasing to him, and subsequently we will bear fruit in good works. Now, when the Bible says good works, it means walking in wisdom and obedience to Jesus' commands. Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, right? That's our good works. Loving God with all we are, loving others as ourselves, and everything that comes along with that, seeking justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God, bearing one another's burdens, serving the poor and widows, building up the church, giving generously, encouraging one another in the word, preaching the gospel to the lost. The, the list goes on. The, these are the good works that God has called us into through Jesus. And, and again, whenever... Whenever we talk about good works, I know I already said this earlier, I want to emphasize again the fact that we don't do good works to earn God's favor or salvation or blessings or anything like that. Rather, we do it and are only able to do it because we're already loved and filled by him. Good works are a desired and zealous response to his grace, not a means to attain it. It's possible because we're abiding in him. More than that, as it says in Philippians, good works are also the inevitable outpouring of a God who's already actively working his will and purpose in and through us for his good pleasure. And this is because God wants us to be fruitful. He's designed us and called us and redeemed us and filled us with his spirit to be fruitful. He expects fruit in every Christian. This also means, though, that the fruit of our good works is, is simultaneously the, the visible proof that we're truly abiding in Jesus and walking in obedience. Matthew 7, 17 to 18 says, So every healthy tree bears good, tr good fruit. Every healthy tree will bear good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
So good fruit is the evidence of our faith. It's the tangible proof that, that we're healthy and abiding in the one who nourishes us and guides us. As, as theologian David Garland writes, how, how, how can persons claim to be saved if what makes them who and what they are and do remains completely unchanged? Only the truth that enters our existence and transforms it is saving. A good fruit tree produces fruit naturally and spontaneously because it is the nature of a good fruit tree to produce fruit. A useless tree, no matter how healthy, remains a useless tree. Only true Christian existence can produce fruit. If there is continuity between the being of a person and his or her works, it is good fruit. Are we bearing good fruit? I don't know. What's fruit? The ne- that's the next question, right? What, what, what is fruit in this context? Why does the pastor keep talking about fruit? What kind of fruit should we be producing as Christians? To, to answer this, I, I want to break it up in, into two categories, which I'll call internal fruit and external fruit. Internal fruit and external fruit. And I'm going to start with talking about internal fruit. And, and by internal, I don't mean that it's hidden. I don't mean it's hidden. I mean it's fruit that develops within our hearts and minds that that in turn outwardly affects how we live and treat others. What I'm saying is that one of the many benefits of of abiding in Christ and he in us and being obedient to his word is that through the process, we'll find that our character, our conduct, and our attitude starts to, to change and shift from our old self and more into his likeness. That's, that's the process of sanctification. That's the spirit working in, in us. Paul calls this the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. It says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the more we grow in Christ and, and submit to the Spirit's leading in our lives, through good works, the more these Christ-like traits will become evident in and through us. We'll be more joyful in any circumstance, more loving and generous towards others, even our enemies, and more patient regarding God's will and also towards those who would normally aggravate us or something. We'll be more steadfast in our faith, And, of course, gentler, kinder, and slow to anger in the way we interact with each other. And so we see that this this internal fruit not only benefits us as individuals, as our old self is is pruned away, enabling us to grow more in holiness and Christ-likeness, but it also benefits those that we interact with as well, inside and outside the church. Which brings us to the second type of fruit, which is external fruit. Now, this is fruit... that's produced in people and circumstances outside of ourselves. Of course, the fruit that's going to be produced in this case will depend on on the good work which God has moved in each of us to do. But generally speaking, this fruit can refer to things like producing new converts and disciples in Christ. Producing new converts and disciples in Christ. Our good works, 
We don't save people what we preach the word, right? Our good works should draw people into hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus and his salvation. This is priority one. We should be seeing this fruit in our lives. Producing new converts and disciples in Christ. External fruit can also be seen in the growth and development of the body of Christ. So that is our good works should be contributing to the fruit of building up and encouraging one another as believers. That's good fruit. The fruit of good works can also be something, something practical like seeing someone get out of poverty through our generosity or sacrificial service or, or maybe if we have kids seeing them grow up with a desire to serve the Lord or something like that. That's also good external fruit. This is all producing that external fruit, right? Ultimately, though, the purpose of bearing fruit, whether inwardly or externally, is to glorify God. It's to glorify God through tangibly displaying the love and grace of Jesus Christ and his kingdom to one another and to a world that desperately needs to see it. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says this. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The greatest fruit we can produce is when people see our good works and give glory to the Lord. That's the kind of fruit we want to see in our lives. Our whole life should be lived out in pursuit of that goal. This is a life that is worthy of God and pleasing to him. And so again, if we truly desire to live out a life that's pleasing to God, Again, as a response to his love and a response to his saving grace. And if we truly want to grow in the knowledge of his will and in wisdom and in spiritual understanding, this is part of what it'll look like. Bearing fruit through good works. But again, it it begins with abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. We need his truth We need his guidance and we need his strength. We need to be pruned and we definitely need his spirit working in us. Because without him, as it says, we can do nothing. But in him, we can do all things he's pleased to see us do. Which means, again, that the key to all of this isn't necessarily to try harder or or to work harder in doing good works. The the key is, is to cultivate our relationship with Jesus and it will lead us to do that. Right? The key is to mature in Christ, to be dedicated in prayer, to studying his word, building each other up in faith, meeting together like this to, to worship him and, and grow together. And, and as we do that, we'll grow in wisdom and understanding, leading us to live the life we're called and purposed to live. This is Paul's prayerful desire for the church in Colossae, and, and it should be ours as well, to, to, be completely, to completely and fully abide in Christ. Because when we do, or rather as we do, we'll find that our life in him will be abundant and full of good fruit. And and we can be confident then that one day we'll hear those words from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm.